0: I was, in, I was
1: Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Man, I have a great show lined up for you this evening. I have a stable of fresh calls to share with everyone, and I cannot wait to get into it. But before we do, I want to encourage you to check out the latest episode of Paradelphia, in which I guest hosted. it. If you haven't put it together, Paradelphia is a paranormal podcast out of the city of Philadelphia. Rick, Doug, and the gang were kind enough to have me on just the other day. We spent the better part of an hour talking about cryptids, cryptid crate, and all sorts of high strangeness. To check it out, simply search Paradelphia on iTunes, wherever it is you get your podcast, or simply follow the link in the show notes for tonight's episode. Alrighty then, let's get rolling. Tonight's episode is chock full of submissions, so I'm foregoing the intro, and I'm going to get right into it. Our first call of the night is actually a follow-up of a previously submitted story. If you remember back to the finale of Season 2, Toby of Secret Transmission Podcast and myself explored an encounter by Coda here in California. To jog your memory, Coda was driving down Highway 101, which, through most of the portion in question, runs parallel to the ocean. In the distance, Coda began to see a strange light in the sky, which later made its way directly over his vehicle. Well, Coda is back to fill us in on some missing details and to discuss mine and Toby's plausible explanations of his experience. Here is Coda from California.
2: again in California uh, getting caught up on the new season and um, I was, was surprised to hear my voice on the season finale of uh, the last one um, and just wanted to follow up because I noticed there was some curiosity about the light that I saw and then a couple other things um, the light was actually bright, bright white it wasn't orange at all and the smokestacks or the fired stack or whatever that um, your your guest was actually talking about I know exactly what he's talking about that one is the closest one at least that I know of is probably near Ventura um, or like in Santa Barbara in, in between that and it's right next to the road very close to the ocean where I have seen the UFO or whatever it was the second time was actually on a hill, as, like I had mentioned before, but it was actually in
3: like a um,
2: like farm land itself where cows and, you know, dogs usually kind of hang out. And that hill, as, uh, as I mentioned as well, as in there there wasn't fencing or anything, um, and it was bright white again that um, didn't have any kind of uh, orange hue or anything to it, and it, yeah, definitely wasn't a missile. The main thing that I noticed that was kind of just shocking was just, like I had mentioned, a static image just imposing itself right on top of my vehicle. Bright light, no sound, no smell, nothing, no vibration. Um, But that's pretty much what was happening. You know, on a side note, because I was actually listening on YouTube to a couple of people who had sightings and were explaining about things that had happened to them after the fact, which was a little strange, is um, those individuals who had seen UFOs started complaining about ailments, illnesses. Suddenly they're sick with various things. And I thought that was a little strange because um, I got diagnosed with multiple issues after that sighting. Um, one was uh, being a diabetic, which I found out I was—it was hereditary. I was not overweight or anything. I also have degenerative disc disease now. Um, neuropathy in my legs, I've actually had a number of issues that I'm pretty much realizing started occurring after that sighting. Coincidence, probably, but I don't know. It was just kind of a funny thing to hear that other people were saying that they saw things and then they started getting sick. Um, Not sure if you've actually heard the same thing at all, but just wanted to follow up and let you know that was pretty much what I had seen and uh, just kind of like a little side note on what other people have experienced but I've actually versus what I've experienced myself um, you know obviously it's not like a life or death situation at all Not, not, not
1: thank you coda I will not go into further debate on what Kota may or may not have witnessed on that stretch of highway, but instead I will focus on something he touched on later in the call. If you remember, he referenced that the experience left him feeling ill after the sighting. Interestingly enough, reports of illness and even death after a UFO experience is not unheard of, and shockingly more common than one would think. I literally had dozens of cases to pull from here, but I decided to share the story of Stefan or Stephen Mikolak, a Canadian prospector whom claims to have stumbled upon a silver UFO in the forest only to have the weird craft burn him physically, resulting in several strange burn marks across his body. The following clip was my first introduction to this case back in the late 80s. Here is a portion of the segment from a television program called Unsolved Mysteries.
4: Stephen found work as an industrial mechanic in a cement plant, and life was happy and uneventful for nearly 20 years. Stephen was an amateur rock hound who spent every spare moment in the beautiful, natural woodlands of Manitoba.
5: I love nature. I love birds, animals, and and also, I have interest in nature, so rocks and this and that. Every weekend, in the long weekend, I usually travel, go to the out in the country and snooping in the in the rocks.
4: On May twentieth, nineteen sixty-seven, Stephen was prospecting approximately one hundred miles east of Winnipeg. Suddenly, he was distracted when a flock of geese in the pond below kicked up an unusual racket.
5: Looking on the tree, I notice a two cigarette-like shape things with the hump in the middle. I said, what the hell is that? One stay in the air and the other one is coming down, down, down. I start looking for marks. I never see a UR or NASA or something written on it. No. Nothing. I didn't see anything on it. But still, I was thinking that probably experimenting vehicle from the United States.
6: I do remember one description that he gave at the time. He said that the skin of the craft, the outside of the craft, was flawless. Stan Michalak was 10 years old in 1967. No, nothing. It was as though you had milled out of a solid block of steel this disc, this saucer with the dome on top.
4: Stephen Michalak told his son that after a few moments, the door of the craft slowly
5: opened. When the gate opened, there was a giri, 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 kinda shrieky talk like a, like a kid in problem or something. Thinking of USA, I said Okay Yankee boys. A Yankee boy Seems to me you are in trouble. Yankee boy. If you got troubles, I'll help you.
4: Stephen says that as he drew nearer the door, the light was so bright he had to snap down the visor on his safety goggles. After a few moments, the door suddenly shut. According to Stephen, the craft rotated counterclockwise, knocking him backwards and setting his shirt
5: on fire. After igniting with the fire, the craft lifts up. 30 to 40 feet in vanish. And then I decided, I said, now is the time for me to buzz off from here, go out. So I started going.
7: He started feeling strange and threw up several times. At the same time, he was experiencing spots in front of his eyes, which could be after effects from the brilliant lights uh, emanating from what appeared to be uh, ducts or ports in the top of the, of the alleged craft.
4: When Stephen checked his compass, trying to find his way southeast to the road, he says the needle went haywire. Disoriented and badly burned, Stephen took his best guess at the direction nine hours later he finally arrived back home in winnipeg where his story made local
6: headlines and apparently left doctors baffled at that point in time the diagnosis if you can call it that was burns and sure they were burns yes heat caused burns what they couldn't diagnose and didn't have a clue about was what appeared below the chest on the abdomen The exact same pattern of holes that was on the grid, on the side of the craft, in the same order, in the same rows, in the same number, appeared as red spots on his lower abdomen, red dots. Stephen was released from
4: the hospital, but he says his symptoms worsened. The nausea continued, and his
6: body seemed to emit a sulfuric stench. There was this sulfur-ozone electric-burning motor stink about him, it's like he's carrying an aura of the smell. wherever you walked and he got close to you, you you could smell this. Not baths, showers, wouldn't take it out. That lasted for weeks. I remember seeing him in bed constantly, tired, nauseous, headachy, not feeling well, losing a lot of weight. Stephen Mikulak was tested for
4: radiation poisoning. The results were negative, yet no one could explain the source of the strange burns on his torso. The physicians
7: were actually unable to determine many of Mikulik's ailments. They knew, for example, he was physically thermally burned, his chest was burned and singed. But the pattern lower down on his chest was very, very unusual. It was eventually determined that it was a chemical burn, not a radiation burn, although he did have some symptoms that might have suggested to some people that some sort of radiation effects might have been involved.
4: On June 30th, six weeks after the encounter, Stephen and a friend went looking for the site.
5: Bob, come
4: After several hours, they found a burned-out circle with a radius of more than 15 feet.
6: This is it! I knew
8: it! I told you!
4: On this barren patch of rock was a circular,
7: roughly circular, ring of vegetation. uh, Dead pine needles, dirt, leaves, that sort of thing. The rock had been swept clean, except for this ring which was surrounding this area. They also noticed that a few of the trees appeared to have dead branches, as if uh, something had either come in and, and touched them or brushed by them with an intense heat or some other effects.
1: A link to that video can be found in the show notes on the website. So, as this example shows, it appears to be possible for a UFO to have negative effects on a witness. In this case, physical. I will also link a photograph of Stephen or Stefan's injuries in the show notes as well. It's hard to imagine how he would have sustained these burn marks in the forest. The pattern is very uniform and suggests a metal grate of some sort was somehow involved. But, at any rate, thank you Coda, for taking the time to clear a few things up. Our next story involves a strange occurrence that seems too random not to have further meaning. This is an anonymous call from the state of Iowa.
9: Hi, I love the podcast, and I figured I'd call in and leave a few of my own experiences. Uh, So when I was in about fifth through eighth grade we lived in a house in newton iowa i'm currently living in des moines uh and this house was surrounded on three sides by timber and it was a it was an interesting house i think it might have even been designed by frank lloyd wright if i remember correctly uh but uh one side of the living room and in fact half the house was windows and this uh living room ceiling went up probably 15 feet on one side and sloped down toward the front of the house well it had these large foam core folding shutters and uh they were open when we moved into the house and after a a while we eventually closed them well the first time we closed them we realized that near the ceiling was a single claw print which reminded me personally of a raccoon's claw, but I I thought it was weird. There was only one and it was dragged down. Uh, So the actual uh, mark was probably like a foot long or a foot and a half. Well, anyways, there was another time that I was out walking in the timber and uh, it was winter time. There was snow on the ground and I suddenly got this real creeped out feeling that I was being watched and I stopped walking looked up and I was silent for a minute and I looked around I didn't see anything but when I looked down toward my feet I noticed that there was a single footprint in the snow and it was a bare human footprint just one (laughs) maybe two or three feet from me in the snow nothing leading to it nothing leading from it it was I, I the eeriness intensified and I just I got out of there um, I'd also walked our dog at the time through that timber and she had been uneasy a, a number of times, but you can always chalk that up to being, you know, a squirrel or some animal. Um, my sister and I did both later, uh, report to each other that we did feel very, um, uneasy going into the kitchen that night because it had a wall of windows that faced the timber and we both had a, had a habit of ducking down behind the counters uh, whenever we'd have to go get a glass of water or whatever. And I actually got locked out of my own bedroom and my bedroom light turned on uh, one day while I was taking a shower. And, uh, (laughs) there was no one in the room when I finally got the door unlocked from the outside. And I had turned the light off before I went to take my shower. So I don't know what that was about, (laughs) but, uh, I really enjoy the show and I'm happy to submit more in the future. I have a few more experiences. Uh, Anyways, keep making episodes, and I'll keep
1: listening. Take care. Bye. Thank you, caller, for taking the time to share. My first thought here is that someone might be playing a bit of a joke on you. I say this because this is a joke I used to play when I was younger. At an early age, I learned how to reproduce a dog or cat print with my hand. You simply curl your fingers under, and the back of your fingers become the toe pads. These crude prints weren't spot-on, but in melting snow or light dust, they were convincing enough. I would often put them in strange places, like leading to a cellar door or up to a stream or shoreline. Another thing I would do is walk backward in the snow, then stop, and walk back the way I had came, overlapping my tracks to give the appearance that my trail of footprints began out of nowhere. I thought this was hilarious when I was a kid. I say all that just to say this. Perhaps someone was just having some fun with our caller, a practical joke that landed perfectly. But then again, when you include the locked door, switched on light, and the sounds, that raises a few eyebrows. So perhaps there's more to this whole thing than just a few simple jokes. Thanks again caller for sharing your experience. While we're on the subject of lights switching on by themselves, we move on to Nick's call.
8: Hi, uh, my name is Nick and the year was probably about 1980 and my grandmother had just died and she was a lonely old lady and she lived alone for oh probably 15 to 20 years before she finally passed on and her house was very old and um, I remember there were no doors on the inside there were only curtains and Excuse me. Uh, and she, uh, I'm sure she was very lonely. But from what I remember about her, she didn't like the lights to be turned on, the electric lights inside to be turned on, um, especially in the daytime. At night, she understood and she she'd let you turn those on. But um, she'd always she'd always shut lights off if it was during the day. And the windows were small because the house was old, but. One thing i do remember distinctly is they were the old-fashioned really quality light switches not like the ones of today they clicked on with a definitive click and they clicked off also with a definitive click and anyway like i say my my grandmother was was gone and, and my parents and i and my brother were staying in her house one last time to get her affairs and my parents said to, to my brother and I we'll wash up for, for dinner so my brother and I go in there and my brother is to my left and to the right is the door way and, and the light switch and we could hear our parents in, in the living room talking and there was no one else in the house other than us four and I'm Washing my hands, and my brother's washing my hands, and it's daytime still, and the light is on. So, washing our hands, and about mid suds, about ready to rinse my hands, I hear I don't feel a thing, I don't feel anything, I hear the click, and the light shut off. And it was a definitive click, not, not the bulb burning out, click off. And so my brother and I are staring at each other, listening to our parents in the living room, maybe some 15, 20 feet away. And we're trying to get each other in the absolute darkness, and we cannot believe that that light was off. And so I quickly rinsed my hands, and usually enough, with a still wet hand, I clicked the light switch back on. Luckily, I wasn't electrocuted or anything. And it clicked back on with a definitive click and it just really freaked me out because that is something my grandmother did when she was alive, was turn out the lights on us if the lights were on during the daytime. So I never saw anything. I never felt any differently other than just the weird darkness suddenly fell over us. um, Anyway, that's my story about um, the paranormal. I think it probably would have been my grandmother, because I can't imagine what other
1: ghost it could have been. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. My grandmother too would pester me to turn off the lights, and close the fridge door, and the front door, and turn off the water, and finish all my food. The last thing anyone from that generation wanted to do was waste something. Many folks from that time, including my grandmother, were raised with nothing. They survived the Depression, and the values that got them through that stuck with them into old age. So to me, it's no surprise that your grandmother is continuing that waste-not-want-not mentality from beyond. Perhaps, and this is obviously a suggestion here, but perhaps she felt so strongly about wasting electricity that she mustered the strength to turn off the lights herself. Then again, it could simply be some sort of faulty wiring that had enough current to actually flip a switch. Thanks again, Nick, for sharing. Strangely enough, your story brought back fond memories of my dearly missed grandmother. Our next submission comes to us from a familiar voice from Down Under. You may remember Steve's submission from earlier in the season when he spoke of a time slip that he experienced while late for class. Well, he's back, and this time he's got a strange story about his very own doppelganger. This is Steve's submission from Australia.
3: Greetings Monsters Among Us, this is Steve from Australia once again and I'm happy to give you the second instalment of the things that have happened to me. Back in approximately 1981, I was a young man touring full time as a musician. We went for a three week or six week stint at a city, 10 hours drive from where I was living and um, one night when we were there, three girls that were fans of the band that they'd seen us play there before and they, they were just party goers they were always out they came in and they said to me that party that you were at the other night you were pretty rude to us and I said I wasn't at any party the other night and they said yes you were and you wouldn't talk to us and uh, we went back and forward like this and they said well we've got a photograph of you at the party and I said that's pretty amazing because I definitely wasn't there And uh, they said, we'll bring it in. Well, I didn't give it any more thought. I thought that was silly what they were saying. But yes, um, in fact, they did turn up at the venue again a few nights later, and they had this photograph. When I looked at it, I had to admit that that was me. (laughs) Pretty much that was me. I thought it looked like me, and all three of them thought it was me, and they were actually there, not just seeing the photograph. So, there was a photograph of this guy who was wearing clothes very similar to the kind of clothes that I wore at the time. But they weren't actually clothes I had. And he just looked exactly like me. And he was leaning against a wall, half looking down towards the floor. Um, There was a pool table in front. So the photograph was taken from across the pool table. And uh, you could see the, the top of his trousers and his shirt, um and some kind of ornaments behind him and there were other people at a distance from him on either side but he wasn't really interacting with anyone so basically this is a doppelganger story and um, I have never known what to make of it now, I I think they thought that I was still pulling their leg that I wasn't there (laughs) Um, now, the thing about this is that I do have a, a rational explanation for this or a non-paranormal explanation, but it doesn't work very well. So it just happens that when I was a child, I lived in that city from pre-school age to the age of 10. And my father in those days was pretty wild. So let's say there was infidelity and he had a child with another woman and say so he didn't know about it. And then all those years later when I was 18, 19, and I was back there playing, that guy who was like a half-brother was there in that same city and those girls saw him but the problem with it is that let's say um the girls you know they were always out always out partying and they knew me i had been there before and they already knew me before that time so they would have noticed that guy looking exactly like me if he was around any other time so if he was a local why was he suddenly there while i was there and it happened just that one time that doesn't make sense Also, if I would moved there when I was, say, three or four years old, and if my father had the child with someone then, like, this dude would have been younger than me, at least four years, I reckon, younger. So he wouldn't have looked exactly the same. He would have had more of a boyish look. Now, um, another problem is that I looked more like my mother than my father. So if this guy had nothing to do with my mother, um, he wouldn't have looked identical to me like that it was a weird thing to happen and um, uh, i still don't know what the answer is so that's my doppelganger story great show keep it up thanks guys bye
1: thanks steve i really like how he made an attempt to explain away the experience the two girls had i thought it was a very plausible and logical explanation albeit very unlikely But, it did help me think of yet another rational explanation. Steve mentioned that he was part of a group that was performing, and that many fans showed up to the event. Is it possible that a fan of the group, whom already looked a good deal like Steve, decided to dress the part to further enjoy his listening experience? Or perhaps to throw a few people off or even meet a few girls? This theory would also explain why he seemed to just set up camp along the wall. I suppose that both mine and Steve's explanations are mundane enough to explain what happened, but they are not nearly as fun as the thought of a doppelganger running around out there somewhere. So thanks again, Steve, for submitting your story, and please let us know if your friend makes another appearance. Well, we've already visited UFOs, strange footprints, ghostly activity, and doppelgangers. Let's run the gambit and include a nice little Ouija board experience. The following story was submitted anonymously. Hello. I thought about calling this in since I've called in before, but I have a family member that listens to the show and they would not be pleased to hear that I've been playing with a Ouija board. So, for that reason, I've elected to submit anonymously. Growing up, I was always told that Ouija boards are dangerous and had decided that I wouldn't touch one. But, being young and reckless, my friends and I decided one day that we just had to try it out. I drove us to the local Barnes & Noble where my friend purchased a brand new board. We all practiced varying forms of Wicca and witchcraft, so we took what we thought would be proper precautions. For any Wiccans listening, they'll understand what we mean when I say I cast a circle and called quarters. Then we sat down and began attempting to make contact. We did this on three separate occasions, and skeptics say what you will, but it worked. We contacted several entities. One said that they were stuck because they had committed suicide by throwing themselves in front of a train that ran nearby. We couldn't find anything on the internet to corroborate that. Still others told us that they were trapped in town by a quote-unquote collector in a local historical mansion. I don't want to use the name of the place, so we'll just call it Wellington Mansion. The spirit informed us that they were trapped, and we asked by who, and it spelled out Wellington. Wellington. We asked why, and it said, collect. We did get other entities trying to scare us, and we would hear scratching and knocking on the walls, and get the feeling that we were being watched. And on our last try, we were contacted by an entity that claimed to be something of a celebrity at the time, the infamous Zozo. After a few minutes of gibberish being spelled out, the planchette began to move in figure eight, and then rapidly between Z and O, over and over again. I immediately told it that it wasn't welcome and moved the planchette to goodbye. We haven't touched the board since. I get the distinct feeling that Zozo isn't a real entity and might be one of, or several, entities playing tricks to scare people. No harm came to me or my friends, but it was very scary in the moment. Thank you so much for reading. Love the show. And thank you for submitting. Now, as I often claim, I'm not a big believer in the Ouija board phenomenon. There's simply too many opportunities for fakery for me to take this seriously. That said, I've never heard of this Sozo character either, so I thought I'd do a little digging. As it turns out, this guy gets around and apparently has been around for a very long time. To shed some light on this demonic entity, I found the following clip from YouTube user Unexplained Mysteries.
0: For the last few years, there's been a growing interest in Sozo the supposed demonic entity that is often depicted on paranormal TV shows as having been conjured up by using the Ouija or Spearboard. Little has been written about Zozo throughout the decades, yet the reports range from the 1800s to recent days. People across the world are claiming to have come in contact with someone or something calling itself Zozo. So what or who is it? The name Zozo exploded into popularity just a few years ago when paranormal shows began using the name as an explanation for supposed hauntings or cases of demonic possession. It's been spread around that when you use a Ouija board to conjure up spirits, Zozo might just answer the call, and when this happens, it's believed you are as good as haunted. Over the years, there have been many demonic possessions that have been attributed to the Ouija board.
1: So, it seems that I might be the last person to find out about Zozo. I will say this, it makes for a more interesting experience if a world-famous demon crashes your Ouija party. Thank you again for submitting. I don't intend to poke fun. Perhaps there's more to this than I realize. But either way, it was a great story. Thanks again. For our next story, we take a trip to Italy where we hear from Rob. Before I start the call, I want to give a little background on the entity Rob mentions in the call. A Monticello is a short, stubby creature, demon, or ghost that wears a monk's robe and a wide-brimmed hat. The name Monticello means little monk. Despite limited popularity in the states, the bean is apparently very popular in Italy. With all that background in mind, this is Rob's call from Italy
0: Hi, I'm Rob from Italy um, and I wanted to tell you what happened to me when I moved to this new house um I always loved horror and, you know, paranormal activities, and uh, this was since my really young age when I was a kid, and uh, in the school we talked about ghosts, there was a lot of legend between us. There was the um, hookman who visited uh, the bad kids in the sleep, uh, a sort of boogeyman, and uh, most like handyman actually. And there was a lot of the service in uh, in our folklore in uh, sweet Italian folklore there is a figure called Monacello, which is the ghost of a kid or of a really short person that makes you um, like a trickster figure but it can be also positive and uh, I when uh When I was a kid, the only paranormal activities that I apparently seen was that we went out, we come back, and in my room the things were moved, and uh, my grandmother said me that there was Monacelli. I, I don't know if there was Monacelli or something or other, I can't remember actually, but it was the first time that I sort of experienced something paranormal the second time was still during my young age i i seen the ghost of my grandfather i'm not 100 percent sure that it was him but still now i have some doubts about it it was really vivid and it wasn't a dream because i was awake you know and when i saw him i ran away calling my mother because I was terrified <laughs> yeah now I moved to a new house uh, last uh, last year and uh, it was okay yeah you know uh, one night I heard a voice directly in my hair you, you can think that maybe I was sleeping you know I there was no one in the house you know, sometimes uh, some dreams can be really vivid. Uh, it was like you know, when you sleep, when you are sleeping uh, and having a dream, but someone call you from uh, you know the real world, for say, and he have a really he has a really uh, high pitch, uh, a like pitch of voice that wake you. Yeah, that's the same. But I was alone. I hear someone someone said like um, come here come on i don't i can't remember now and i remember only that i woke up and i was like oh, what the hell i searched for the font of the voice the tv was turned off so i don't know what can have done this i don't think that a cat can talk <laughs> yeah but i'm uh, a septic and I'm also sometimes, usually, uh, rational, so I turn off the light again and uh, come back to sleep. Oh, uh, sometimes later, I think like it was two months ago, I, I can't remember now exact the exact period, but it was this year, I heard another time a voice, the same voice, I think. Um, absolutely sure sure that it was the same Um, but I was (laughs) awake I mean I was in my bed I was going to sleep because it was very late in the Friday night I can remember that it was weekend because it was very very late and I went to sleep when I hear a voice like hey and it was a female voice. First time I heard this voice was a uh, kid-like. Uh, I'm not sure if it was actually a kid or a girl, but it wasn't a, the voice of a man. And uh, it, this time I had the same pitch of the last one, but I was awake, I was going to sleep. And uh, that uh, creeped me out a lot and... Uh, i searched for what can have done this because it was directly in my ear and uh, i don't know what happened i don't know if there is something in my house i don't know if this uh, uh, monachello or something else but uh, i i think that he can talk to me and if he exists and know it's not only my hallucination or, or my dream you can it can happen i i don't know what to do and what it can be. A ghost? I
1: don't know. Thank you Rob. Rob's account seems to involve several experiences that all appear loosely related but one experience he details stuck out to me as something I myself suffered from and even mentioned on the show. Some of you might remember from past episodes that I mentioned I suffered from exploding head syndrome. Basically, it's a sleeping disorder that causes the sufferer to hear loud noises, music, and even voices mere seconds before falling asleep. The sounds are 100% internal, but to those inflicted, the sound is booming and seems to emanate from the very room they are in. In my case, I often hear loud crashes, and like Rob, a female voice that whispers, Hey, it's very freaky, especially when you don't know what it is. So perhaps Rob suffers from the same ailment causing him to hear these disembodied voices. Then again, that only explains part of his experience, leaving us with more questions than we have answers. Thanks again, Rob, for taking the time to submit all the way from Italy. Okay, I have two stories left to share, and I saved my favorite genre for last. Our next call is a strange story about a strange creature. This is Alex's Call from Georgia.
10: Hey, so my name is Alec, and I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I have two friends that, um, basically I was just told they saw this thing around a suburban area of Forsyth County. It's just, it's a suburb just north of Atlanta. Um, basically they were going back in the woods, um, into this kind of open field at late at night and, um, this is during the winter and they went back there to do what, you know, other, like, teenage kids do, just go back there and chill and whatever, and they were driving back, it was pitch black out and as they were driving back um, they made a right turn onto this road, it's just kind of like a detour to get around the highway um, Kind of a more secluded area, and in front of them, crossing the road was this thing. It was about two feet tall, maybe three feet tall. Hunched over, um, had like a real hunchback, like where the shoulders are, went up very, very, very high, like a foot, and it was, it kind of hobbling over, like it kind of it looked like a really deformed skip what they said, and it just, I don't know, they were very, very, very freaked out by this, and they um, just said it gave them, like, a really weird, bad feeling, and it, like, it went directly into woods on one side of the road, and the woods were all, it wasn't like your backyard woods. It was, like, thorns and just really, really dense foliage. So I'm not really sure where it would have gone. But it just really freaked them out. And this happened a good while ago. And I was just talking to them because I was telling them how I didn't really, like, believe in, like, kind of, like, Bigfoot things. And they were like, okay, but there's this. And they really don't even drive that road anymore. They're just, like, too weirded out by it. It just gave them, like, a really, really bad feeling. And uh, that was it. It had some sort of weird, like, white clothing on it. It was, like, a really thin bed sheet. And it, it was just strange. All right, thank you.
1: Thank you, Alec. I have to admit, I listened to this one several times. Combing for clues that may disclose the identity of the odd creature Alec's friends saw that night. But to my disappointment, I drew a blank. Outside of the infamous Dover Demon, I cannot think of a single creature that fits the given description. The hump particularly threw me off. As I often do, I took to my books and to the internet in search of similar reports, but was unable to drum anything up. So either I'm using the wrong search words, or this is a creature not many know about. However... This, I will say. I really enjoyed the story and would love to learn more. So, if anyone out there listening knows anything about this creature or has any ideas, please reach out and I'll revisit this call in a later episode. I would love to get a better idea of what this thing might be. Thank you again, Alec. You got me stumped on this one. Alright, before I dig into this final call of the evening, a few announcements. T-shirts! T-shirts! For those that pre-ordered, your t-shirts are in the mail and should reach you by the end of the week. They turned out great, and I proudly wore mine all day yesterday. If you want to jump on the bandwagon and get yourself one, simply hit the shop tab on the webpage, which is Monsters Among MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com. As most in the states know, next Thursday is Thanksgiving. My mother is coming to town all the way from Ohio, and I have all sorts of fun things planned out for us to do while she's here. So, in short, there will be no new show next week. But I will be back the following Thursday with a brand new episode. So, for my American listeners, have a happy Thanksgiving. If you have a story you'd like to share, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can visit the Report Your Sightings tab on the website. The hotline is open 24-7 and is toll-free. This new hour-long format is quickly burning through my horde, so please share your stories today. Lastly, please take a few moments to rate and review the show on iTunes. Also, hit up the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Alright, back to the show. Our final call of the evening is a fun one. This is Jeremiah's call from the state of Oregon.
11: Uh, Hey, Derek. Love the show. Um, Calling in about the winter of 2010. I was driving my Volvo down a long gravel road through the hills of Dallas, Oregon. Uh, There was grass seed fields on either side of the road, and I believe it was close to midnight. Uh, I was out for a drive and to have a cigarette. I lived in a nearby house about a mile up the road with my parents, who didn't know I smoked back then. (sighs) Hence the smoking while driving. Uh, As I passed a large cluster of blackberry bushes, something lurched out of them at my passing car. I slowed to a stop uh, as to not slide on the gravel and looked through my back window at a large... Slender creature, uh, illuminated by my brake lights. It was definitely a dog, uh, but not like any dog I'd ever seen before. Its legs were incredibly long and muscular. Its face resembled a German Shepherd, but with a longer snout. Uh, My parents owned a German Shepherd wolf hybrid at the time, who weighed around 180 pounds. Huge dog. This thing was significantly taller and maybe weighed around 200 pounds. Uh, This dog was lanky, but seemed strong. I've seen wolves and coyotes before, and this thing didn't resemble either of them. Uh, The fur was kind of oily and short. I'm not sure what color it was exactly, as it was bathed in the red light of my brakes. It paced back and forth a few times before I slowly drove off. This thing freaked me out and i did not feel safe even in my car Uh, i was 19 at the time and too broke to even have a cell phone with a camera but i don't think that the thought of stopping for a picture would have even entered my mind i just wanted to leave 50 yards down the road i saw a great pyrenees hiding behind a different blackberry bush Uh, its eyes were huge and it looked terrified I couldn't figure out why it would be there until I drove past the enclosure of alpacas and sheep over the next hill. The Great Pyrenees uh, looked like he definitely didn't want to be there, but my guess is it felt compelled as a herding dog to keep his flock safe. The Great Pyrenees are really big dogs, and I cannot believe how small it seemed in comparison to that thing. Uh, I drove to the next town just chain-smoking and trying to comprehend what I had just seen, (sighs) about an hour later, I mustered up the courage to drive through the same area to get home, and both dogs were gone. Um, I just will reiterate, it really did resemble a massive, massive German Shepherd, but with different proportions, different fur, and it, it was lacking the signature German Shepherd color patterns. Anyway, that's my story. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you, Jeremiah. My first thought was that Jeremiah simply saw a deer in his rearview mirror. This could explain the lanky legs, long nose, the size, and the strange behavior. But after some internal debate, I decided that it's probably quite difficult to mistake a deer for a large dog. So, what does that leave us with? I was quickly reminded of the Devil Dog story from Vermont featured on Episode 7 of Season 3. In that call, a witness was also startled by a massive canine while driving a remote stretch of road. In that episode, I brought up the strange case of the Shunkawarakan, a large canine-type creature that was shot and killed in Montana in the 19th century. Perhaps this, like the story from Vermont, is a sighting of another of these strange and yet-to-be-identified creatures. As a big fan of these strange dog-like monsters, I truly hope that what Jeremiah saw was either the Shunkawaraken or something similar. But part of me can't help but feel that we'll probably never know. Thank you again, Jeremiah. What a fun story. And that's going to do it for this episode of Monsters Among Us. I want to thank two talented gentlemen for their help. Corey Trim, who contributes the wonderful artwork that accompanies each and every episode and Warren Pond abbott for his dramatic readings of written submissions. Without these two, the show wouldn't be half as good as it is. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.